Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the same. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flowing. It is curious that with the advent of the automobile and the aeroplane, the bicycle is still with us. Perhaps people like the world they can see from a bike, or the air they can breathe when they're out on a bike. Or they like the bike's simplicity and the precision with which it is made. Or because they like the feeling of being able to hurtle through the air one minute and saunter through a park the next, without leaving behind clouds of choking exhaust, without leaving behind so much as a footstep. Whether you're listening to the tranny in the kitchen or you're downloading and streaming this through the computer at 3CR, you're listening to the Yarrabug Radio Show. Here on this beautiful May morning, the 13th day of May, the sun is shining in Melbourne, there's a gentle westerly, the elms are slowly dropping their leaves, and yet we go on and on. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Val. I've run out of words. (laughs) Good morning, Dan. Good morning, how are you? Good to see you, Dan. <laughs> We've got a good show coming up today. We're going, to, um, we're going to go back into the past a little bit, I think, which will be good. Talking about bikes of all sorts of bikes and different sorts of bikes. High wheels, ordinaries, safeties. Is there another one I've missed out? We're not going uh, tricycles just high yet. High wheel. High, high wheel. wheel. High common, yeah. common, There's many names. A common, ordinary, think- standard yeah, so over the years, the name has actually changed. So originally it was called the wheel or the bicycle because there was no other option. This thing came along. It's an invention that's an evolution, and then all of a sudden that's all we had. We didn't get to choose at that time. There we go, and we're, they're still with us. Yep, still with us. <laughs> and that quote, which I've been very slack in giving attribution of my quotes in the last couple of year, couple of weeks is Gordon S. Lette. I don't know where that comes from, but it's a very nice quote. An idea that the bicycle is still with us. We'll be catching up with a little bit of news that's happening around uh, our city in this uh, run-up week. 
And then we'll be talking about Dan and all those different types of bikes. Faith, mm. that little moment that, that you shared moment. with your own personal <laughs> space and your bicycle. <laughs> I, I was going to do a, a really nice moment I had last, um, not last weekend, the one before, uh, just I think it was one of the first days we had a really decent amount of rain and uh, we went and rode some sort of gravel rides around Woodend and then a bit of got lost on some single track in the wombat forest. But it had that um, that awesome smell yeah, that yeah, yeah. you a forest area gets after uh, the first bit of uh, refreshing rain. Rain. I think yeah. there's a word for that smell. Is there? I think so, but I'm not sure. I'll Google it. Yeah, of course. I think it's (laughs) tied into that that other funny taste. Anyway. Yeah, that's actually the bacteria from the soil and the leaves that gets released. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, It's a very familiar smell. Yeah. I started my career as a farmer and always freshly, when you plant lentils, chickpeas, the first planting and moist soil, you get that smell. Yeah. Turnover. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't had it for so long. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. of course there's a lot more yeah. um, bacteria and gases being it's released. It's not been washed away. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We get sciencey here too. Petrichor. There we there go. We go. <laughs> See, I told you. <laughs> I've been saying to everybody that will listen to me, there are no synonyms in the English language and that's a perfect <laughs> example. To, Dan, have you, have you got a bike moment to share with us? Yeah, I've got so many bike moments to share. Just one. The, the one that amuses me lately is um, we had an event a couple of months ago and, um, you know, people ask all the time, how fast does a penny farthing go? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's different answers, of course, because there's under your typical on-the-flat normal racing conditions, actually pedalling it, you'll do 50, 55 kilometres an hour. That's the top speed of the races. But recently we did a tour in northern Thailand and northern Thailand's got some hills and <laughs> there's around the Golden Triangle. We did about 180 kilometres on this particular day and there's a hill right up the top up at the Opium Museum and um, I come down there and I we what we do is we step down on the back steps. So there's steps on the back. A lot of my bikes have two steps for this very reason. And we step down there and you freewheel and you just let it go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, after years of riding and thousands of kilometres and climbing Great Dividing Range and all sorts of riding we do, I've got pretty used to this. And we're coming down the hill and my friend Tim was doing about 50, 60 kilometres an hour and I come past him like he was standing still. <laughs> and I, you know, it would have been 75, 80 kilometres an hour. I was lying down over the top of the seat put my elbows into my ribs for stability <laughs> and hang on. And um, we're at this event back in March and my partner Kelly was telling someone the story. It was, you know, how fast do they go? And she's telling the story, the two different answers. This is like top speed, all out, no restrictions, and then there's pedalling speed. And the lady that asked, she says, oh, well, you know, young and silly, we grow up with age. And Kelly's like, it was two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, is there a Garmin on your penny farthing? Yes. <laughs> it's a good question. A lot of people run them, but I don't even bother. In fact, when I run a tour, so each year we do a big tour, and a lot of the time I tell the riders to chuck their watch away, chuck their map away, yep. just 
just pedal your bike. Just get out and enjoy what we're actually doing. Yeah. You know, riding yeah. a bike for the sake of riding a bike, not for an agenda. There's a lot of people seem to want a reason, but we don't need a reason. All of those things you stated in the uh, introduction, it's all of that. It's yeah. everything, and it's everything for different people in different ways. You can't feel the air. you can't feel the air on your face if you're looking at how quick you're going. No, you can't or, get or that. Can, or can you see the parked car in yeah. front of you? That's right, and you can't get that beautiful fresh smell of running over a dead possum on the road. You don't <laughs> get that in a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of competition, I'm on normal commute to work, and actually normal. Uh, I go across, there's a nice little street that runs up parallel the bridge road called Hyde Street, which, thanks for the Yarra Council, got wonderfully wide bike lanes on it because whoever was in charge, and I know him, was there the night they marked them and made them all 300 mils bigger and cut the road space out. Anyway, I'm waiting at the red light, and I have got six cyclists in front of me. Usually I'm the only one there. <laughs> so what starts off as a little peloton up, up <laughs> Hired Street as, as they work off, the, the, the leader pulls over to the left and one more person slides past him. There's a gap in the traffic. The woman that's behind me overtakes me and slots in another spot. <laughs> I overtake the bloke who's dropping off. And then we all stop at the red light up across up on the road. So all this jockeying for position. And we all stop at the next red light. It was quite funny. It is amazing, though. There is a natural kind of, I mean, birds do it in the sky and there's yeah. kind of a natural position and a formation that you kind of put into. And, and from an outside, it may seem like it's competition, but in a lot of ways, it's actually just settling into a safe, comfortable, rhythm. happy yeah. rhythm yeah, yeah, and yeah. position. And yeah. Yeah. we're all different riders, so we all have a different comfort. And I've got to be careful because I've got a very short sprint. So I've got to be able to cover myself up a little bit. <laughs> That's one of the beauties of a penny farthing, actually. Being fixed and direct drive, you can actually count the exact revolutions yeah, yeah. and the exact I'm distance uh, and uh, always know what sprint you can do. Yeah, yeah. There's a great uh, passage in The Rider, Tim Crabb's wonderful book, where no computers in those days. He knows for the gearing he's got on his fixed-wheel bike, so he knows exactly it's 5.825 kilometres around yeah. the block. You just need he, to count. Because he counts his pedals, right? <laughs> you just need to count. You can count your sprint and you can step it out. En enough with measuring. You can't, you can't measure the joy that a cycle gives you. No, you can't. And that's you can why measure you, the kilometres. Throw the speedo it. away, throw yeah. the map away and just ride your bike. Yeah. And in our yeah. neo-economic world, I suppose counting everything is what's expected of us now. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not an economic unit. Sorry, People have been so, counting much longer I than know, that. I know, I know, I know. I know a, a lady a in the, the 1890s who, the first time she rode from Warrnambool to Melbourne... Uh, got home at 10 p.m. in Balaclava, and she had got one of the newfangled uh, cyclometers, and it said 180 miles. So she got back on the bike and rode around Balaclava till she got to 200. <laughs> we've we've had riders do that on century rides. They'll come in yeah, yeah. and for whatever reason, or or sometimes the tour. We've had a big day, it's and it says, yeah, it says a hundred, you know, one hundred and fifty nine, one hundred and sixty kilometers, and someone's like, if we do two more kilometers, we do one hundred and sixty two, and we've done a century ride. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, let's get away from boastful cyclists for a little bit and get onto a bit of news that's happening around the little bit of cycling news. Yeah, just quickly. Quickly. Um, from, okay, well, the first one is just uh, for those who commute through the city, particularly if you're using the Latrobe Street bike lane. Um, the bike lane will be closed for a month, the eastbound lane, because of the work on the metro tunnel, um, but there is a detour in place to uh, give you a route around that, a pretty straightforward one from the sounds of it. So we'll put a link up to the information about that or you can go and check the Bicycle Network page. They've got that. If you haven't caught up with the Melbourne City Council's release of the new 10-year transport strategy plan, I urge you to go onto the uh, Melbourne City Council's website. We'll be putting up a link to this. You can make submission. There is a survey there to uh, fill in. There's a lot of detail and a lot to read in this strategy. I encourage you to get on to it. You have got till the 19th of June to make a submission and do the survey. And one of the the big improvements in that is that there'll be separated bike lanes on uh, Exhibition Street with 130 car parks being removed. So for people who need to move through the city from north to south or south to north, um, there isn't at the moment... A really safe route, like Swanson Street gets pretty, um, even without many cars, just delivery vans and a lot of police cars, um, and the trams and pedestrians. So that would be a big use. There's also um, plans for separated bike lanes on William Street and Alexandra Avenue. So, there we go. Yeah. Now, you would have, might have missed a... Um, an article that shows actually the continual bubble that a lot of journalism and people live in. We had an art, had a couple of articles published in the last month, motorists saying that cyclists were somehow subhuman or a different species from other people. There's an interesting article on the rise in deaths of 50 men, 50, 45 and over, dying of cycling. It's a two-column page, quite a spread of an article did not mention once what all those cyclists were dying from. Said 90% <laughs> of them died on the road, but never mentioned what was killing them. It was quite interesting. Pinned it exactly just on age and a demographic, without a mention that 87% of those people were killed by a car. Yeah, <laughs> and also particular wording. There's so many tricks in the wording. Things like barreling through. Yeah, speeding yeah, and, cyclists and yeah. dying of cycling. It was probably never actually the cycling that no. was the problem. No, no that's what I mean. It was, it the was, standout point is the cars killed most of them. Yeah, and you don't mention yeah. it. And mentioning Swanson Street before, like the trams and pedestrians. So. As riders, we have a responsibility that we're the ones with the bigger, faster item, that when we go through the tram stops in Swanson Street, we're the ones with the item that can cause the most injury. And so we have a responsibility as humans to look after each other. Do you know how often I have to explain to people what a shared path means? That the person who's the most vulnerable gets the most room. Yeah. It's like a B-double on the roads bullying a car. The same thing with a bicycle on a shared path. Actually, the speed differential is more different, important than anything else. Sharing means you'll look after the vulnerable, not take well, over it's their the, place. the hierarchy. 
Yes. Yeah, the yeah. road and shared paths. Shared paths. And yeah. it remains the same. Yeah, it's and one of the ones I keep bringing up and find quite interesting, so people complain about having to slow down and overtake a slower vehicle on the road. They don't like doing that to certain other vehicles, like a, a slow car bothers them or a, a cyclist bothers them. But if I was, when I was a farmer, I was out there with my massive giant combine harvester it's the size of your house. Nobody ever complained. They yep. come up behind me. They moved over. They went around. No problem. There we go. Much yep. bigger than a cyclist. Yep. Takes up more room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And goes slower. Creates no argument. No, everybody's quite happy. They're like, oh, I oh, see. So look at this guy. You know, going about his day. We'll give him plenty of room yeah, and yeah. get around him. He's the same person that probably rides a bike. Yeah, you're true. Yeah, it's look. It's but it is. Yeah, the issue is perception. Yeah, yeah, and we just got to be very mindful of it. We're going to be back in a second. We're going to go back to those dark days where you got a bike made by measuring your inside leg. That it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to <laughs> treaty with Aboriginal people, but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun. And you're back listening to the Arabug Radio Show on 3CR. Um, as uh, Val mentioned at the head of the show, our studio guest today is Dan Bolwell, Penny Farthing Dan. Um, and Dan is a builder of uh, penny farthing bicycles. I think um, maybe a good starting point, it's probably the first question people wonder, is how you got into building penny farthing bicycles. It's a good question, and I think sometimes uh, it's there's a long answer. And the long <laughs> answer, of course, is to go through the series of scenarios which lead your life in a certain direction, which everybody has. How many people are actually doing the job they went to university for and, you know, life throws you curveballs? So for me, it was a childhood passion. So there's there's quite a few elements in there. As I really like, I'm a creative person. I like being creative and I like working away on my own. So large workplaces with lots of people I find that um, heightens or creates a stress in there that I'm not necessarily comfortable with and I like to just quietly work away and build things and of course penny farthings for me have been a passion since I was a child and I first learned about them in an encyclopedia. And what um, was it about them that sparked that? Well the thing that I've seen over time and of course I've you know, I'm in my early 40s, so most of this happened prior to me even being even existing, is that 
penny farthings are often seen as something theatrical or um, abstract, and they'll associate um, like top hat and tails, which to me is the most ridiculous thing to ride a bike in. It's not even quite the right era. And you can do that, and um, it's a lot of fun, and I'm sure people did for different reasons over the years. But if you want to ride a bike for what it's for, and that is uh, adventure, exploration, travel, and racing culture. So racing culture started not long after the first penny farthing was in Vented. It was when the second one was actually second built. One was made. That, was, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah, and, and so to race Time trials and to the first one. yeah, and to travel, and so you actually wear something suitable. And I don't know what it was like in the late eighteen hundreds and at the time, but I guess dressing up for affirmation and attention happened in a theatric. The theatre was huge at the time. But to do that just to ride around the roads, most people actually chose. We didn't have the fashion industry as far as I can see or certainly didn't have the world communication. We would have had localised fashion industry, so makers and builders and everything close by, and that would have driven what they wore. And certainly um, there would have been a style and a culture, but at the end of the day, when you ride a bicycle and, and practical, and when we're at home in our daily life and doing things, we choose clothing that's suitable for what we're doing. So as a cyclist, they would have chosen skin-tight woolen outfits. It would have been... So it's almost like going and buying some thermal underwear and, and cutting it off below the knee, long socks, and that sort of outfit. That's what they raced in. That's what they wore for their long-distance challenges and when they were seriously cycling. And it was comfortable and it was thin and it was fast and that's what they wore. And then touring would have been comfortable jackets and very similar to what people will wear on the Tweed ride this weekend is is warmer clothing because it's cool and comfortable. A Norfolk jacket and some knickerbockers. Yeah, yeah. easy to get on and off the bike. And um, so the sort of thing that people see penny farthings for as – today is not necessarily what it was all about and the more digging you do the more you find the racing culture was there so as and melbourne's an amazing place for cycling history and racing culture there was a big track at the exhibition building which of course was called the exhibition building what we refer to now as the royal exhibition building there was a cycling track there and they used to race and in fact i have a rudge an 18 1882 Rudge Penny Farthing that was raced at that track. Yeah. And uh, it's in derelict condition and parts, but it's got that history. It was um, distributed through a shop in Elizabeth Street in Melbourne. A lot of the cycling shops were down there. And then there was the um, MCG. So they raced around the MCG. Yeah. Yep. And so when you're building penny farthings, are you trying to build a bike from the 18th 19th century or are they a hybrid of new ideas and technology with the penny farthing um, technology? That's a great question because I have a wide and varied demographic of customers and that's really driven by the customer. So if they want the old historic original style then the first thing that i'll always make sure is all of my designs are tried and proven so 
I've got bikes with literally tens of thousands of kilometres. I've got a customer in Thailand doing 20,000 k's a year. So designs are safe. They're strong. They're reliable. Bikes are fitted to the customer regardless of the design. It's actually fitted to them so they can mount it easy. They can ride it easy. It's like a normal bike except you sit higher. And part of the trouble is, is over the years, someone's found a penny farthing or come across one, tried to ride it. There's no guarantee it's the right size. So it's like putting your seven-year-old on your race bike and saying, learn to ride it, take it for a ride. Or it's like putting a six-foot, two, you know, 30-year-old guy who cycles everywhere on a child's bike and say, ride that safely. It's so they're not always custom-built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a generalised, there's a, as with humans, there's a mathematical average um, size and that can vary through countries. So they're a little bit taller in some of the, like in uh, Holland and um, Norway and those sort of countries, they can be slightly taller than what we are here or in Asia, slightly shorter. So there is actually a, a bit of a demographic area where there's an average and um, aside from that, the ideal way is the bike is actually set up for you. And that's a safety thing. And that's also a ride and uh, um, getting the most out of what you got. So you know that you can have something that is fun and easy to ride. And it gives you that fun of ownership. Yeah. So it's not something that you battle to ride and then you have a go and put it in the shed and that's it. These things get used, well used and used for many years. And so what does it, compared to a normal bike, um, I mean, the penny farthing's fixed, but it's that direct drive. What does it feel like to ride in comparison to, so our listeners, if they're thinking, well, I know yeah, what a normal so bike feels like. It's, once you get used to it, it does feel pretty well like a normal bike, except a different position. You're actually standing up in the power position. So on a normal bike, a modern bike, you hop up, stand up on it, and you rally, and you get into it. On a penny farthing, you are sitting up high over that wheel, so you're actually effectively in that position. Puts you in a very good power position for climbing hills and sprinting and a power position, but your limitation is you run out of cadence. Yep. You just simply run out of ev- revolutions. And... um I almost feel like I didn't answer your original question, which is <laughs> it goes in diversions. And um, so I have a customer who approach me and he's in his 80s and he's a cycle collector and wants one for its visual aspect and wants the original side of things. But he wants something really nice with quality and reputation and the style that comes with it. And he wants something good. And so he'll go for that more like lots of, 24 karat gold plating and things. So it's really driven by the customer. If they want that original designs and style. But there was literally tens of thousands of different designs and makers. So basically everything is original and it was original. And the definition of original is it's not copying some other design. So... In a way, I can I can copy a particular model or particular design. A lot of people want to put their own flavour and design in there, yep. their own colours and style and pinstriping and that sort of thing. So it really is theirs through and through. And then right through the modern ones, which are absolute races. I've just finished one for my son as a gift now that he's 18 and fully grown. 
and it's got rainbow hydro dipped hubs. <laughs> it's got gold through it. It's got um, like the forks on the inside are green, purple, pink, and it's metallic silver on the outside. See, it's a complete contrast. And will we uh, be seeing that at the Tweed ride this weekend? Does yeah, you, we yeah? will. Yeah, yeah okay. he's coming along. Yeah. So we should uh, mention while we have a moment, the Tweed ride, your um, the Melbourne Tweed Ride is a, a great tradition and you're the organiser this year yeah. co-hosting that. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that for listeners who want to join in. Or Yeah, so I guess um, event management and organisation is not my skill. I build bikes, that's my thing. So, um, But I do like to organise lots of things and get people together. The end of the day, that's a massive reward for me is just seeing people enjoy the day out. Yeah. And... It's a tweed ride and we want you to dress up in tweed. Participation is always the primary. So if you and on any bike, some, the bike you have. On any bike, the bike you have, go to the op shop and find some old period yep. clothing, a big old motley tweed jacket and come along and enjoy it. And that's and it's Sunday? F- Sunday from 10 o'clock at Albert Park. Yeah. So we're meeting down the bottom end. I'll come back and tell you the exact location in a moment. And we'll put a link and up. put up a link up so that it'll be all right. Yeah. And um, so just come along and participate. It's casual. It's free. Uh, there's no agenda and there's nothing about it except just people getting together and enjoying the day. Awesome. It's a very casual day. Thanks very fun. much for coming into the studio today, Dan. That's all we have time for today. 3CR relies on the support of its listeners to stay on the air. And coming up next is... Jailbreak. We've run out of cadence. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.